Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. is the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. Tom Hartman here with you. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Yesterday afternoon, an article I wrote uh, went up on alternate.org, uh, and it's about the, you know, the Trump descent into uh, hyper-authoritarianism. And I listed uh, a, a set of characteristics that you see, that we saw when Italy went fascist, that we saw when Spain went fascist, that we saw when Venezuela went neo-fascist, commie-fascist, whatever you want to call it, uh, that we saw in Mugabe's government, that we that were seen in, to, with Duterte in the Philippines, we saw it with Erdogan in Turkey, we saw it with Viktor Orban in Hungary, every single one of these things, pretty much in this order. Number one, as Eisenhower talked about, or excuse me, as Franklin Roosevelt talked about in 1944, Lie often and lie big. For example, last night, Donald Trump told a whole series of lies in his, in his rally there in Tennessee uh, on behalf of Marsha Blackburn. We wouldn't get into those a little later on. Number two, consolidate power while challenging or co-opting the institutions that might hold you accountable. That would be like the courts. Number three, attack the press. This is something that autocrats and, and uh, authoritarians always do. Number four, vilita- vilify protesters and political enemies. Number five, scapegoat minority groups to rile up a mob mentality against them. Uh, number six, elevate one religion that you can control and reward while trashing others. Uh, number seven, uh, co-opt and make institutions of military and police power into loyal sycophants by, for example, exempting police unions from your crackdown on, on state employees like uh, Scott Walker did. And, you know, talking, talking uh, you know, how much you love the, the beat cops. And, and finally, ignore competence and incompetence. Only loyalty matters. Oh, and foster a sense of helplessness among the opposition. So those are the characteristics that I'm seeing. And, uh, you know, let's, let's get uh, Julio Rivera in here, the editorial director of Reactionary Times, columnist with Newsmax, right-wing news and politics. Uh, ReactionaryTimes.com is his website. His Twitter handle is oh, yeah, it's Julio. Uh, Julio, welcome back to the program. Hey, how are you today, Tom? Great. Great to have you with us. 
So does it concern you that these cardinal characteristics of authoritarian rule that are popping up all over the world are being run through by the Trump administration as if they had just, you know, yesterday read uh, The Prince by Machiavelli and said, hey, here's our manual. Oh, well, you know, Tom, I kind of parsed through your uh, alternate piece there, and, uh, you know, I was quite wordy, and I didn't really uh, grasp, or I didn't really understand where you were taking it, to to be honest with you. If you look at Trump, his presidency has been about uh, deregulating, so less government intrusion into the life of citizens. Or fewer government protections from from the predations of corporations. Okay, but I also wanted to make this point as well. Look no further than his Supreme Court nomination, Judge Neil Gorsuch, who's always uh, been a champion for limiting the power of the executive branch and maintaining the separation of powers. And giving that power over to big corporations. And and that was one of the points in the article, is that, you know, you trash the judiciary. Mitch McConnell refused to allow President Barack Obama to have his constitutionally mandated appointment to the Supreme Court. And so, you know, we we get Neil Gorsuch, as you point out. I mean, that's one of the things that tells me that McConnell and Trump are running the fascist playbook. Well, I mean, they also the Senate also has the, uh, the the power to advise and consent when it comes to things like that. So if they didn't want to bring up, you know, the uh, Barack Obama nominee, you know, to a vote, I mean, that's something that was kind of discretionary. And I'm saying McConnell is complicit in this way. fascism. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. And, and it blows my mind that a conservative is not freaked out about the possibility of fascism. Well, because I don't believe that that's a realistic possibility. The other thing I wanted to bring up, too, because I did in particular um, notice something about your piece uh, that you put up yesterday regarding Charlottesville. You're misrepresenting what happened in Charlottesville because the violence that was precipitated in Charlottesville only happened because Michael Signer, the Charlottesville mayor who wanted to set up Charlottesville as a resistance city to the president, had his police walk the two opposing groups together and then told them to stand down. And the other element of Charlottesville as well is that it was funded leftist agitators. They showed up on Saturday. They caused the commotion on Friday when that weekend started and the original protest began. And it was just, um, you know, the anti, you know, take down the statue protesters there. There wasn't any violence. It was only when the left showed up. So let me get this straight, Julio. You're celebrating a bunch of white guys walking down the street with tiki torches chanting, Blacks will not replace us, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. You're celebrating that? Listen, I'm not celebrating it, but they went through the proper, appropriate legal channels to go ahead and and legally obtain a permit to protest. I'm sorry, there was no no permit granted to to run down Heather Heyer with a car. No, they're absolutely. And that's what I was talking about. And and, and the point that I made about that is is that if you Google Heather Heyer's name along with the word libtard, you get, did you try that? You get all no, these neo-Nazi I, I, I sites calling things, her. One thing I haven't Googled. You, you get all these, I mean, right up at the very top of all the hits, you get all these neo-Nazi sites calling her a fat pig, and she was paid by George Soros, and she's probably Jewish. and I mean, just all this just vile hatred coming out from your side, and I don't get why anybody would defend that. No, you that. can't sit there and marry, you can't marry the Daily Stormer and the neo-Nazi movement and white supremacy to American conservatives. Then why have all those groups endorsed Donald Trump? I, you know what? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Of course you know, Julio. By leftist element. Look at the guy that's running in Illinois that we've talked about. There's an actual uh, white supremacist or whoever he was that's running uh, in the congressional race in Illinois. The state GOP is not backing his race, but he, he decided to declare himself a Republican. What does that I mean, have to do? You don't know I mean, you're making my point here, Julio. Of course a racist that. is going to declare himself a Republican. 
You think he's going to declare himself a Democrat? I mean, the Democrats well, left why, behind why, racism why, why in 1965. The Democrats were the party that fought for racism and Jim Crow laws and the party that filibustered the 1964 Civil Rights Act for almost two months. That wasn't the Republicans that did it. It was the Democrats. That's what I just said. The Democratic Party set aside racism in 1965 when Lyndon Johnson really? told did Bill Robert Moyers, if I sign this piece of memo in the 90s when he was a senator in the leadership position under Clinton, when 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 LBJ signed the Civil Rights Act and told Bill Moyers in his office, when I sign this thing, the Democratic Party is going to lose the South for a generation. Well, it's been two generations, arguably three well, generations since then. But LBJ was right. You know what's voting Democrat for 200 years? But that's another story. Yeah, the Democratic Party from from the 18 well from the from the founding of the Republic, oh, argue, you know, up until yeah. up until yeah. the 1960s, had been the the party that first defended slavery and later defended Jim Crow. You're right. The Republicans joined them, by the way, in defending Jim Crow in the in the 1870s. You know, after Thaddeus Stevens, the the radical Republican, was trashed, and and the other radical Republican, Abraham Lincoln, was murdered. But, the, you know, well, so we've had both like, parties like were complicit in this right up till 65. You like to cite facts. You like to cite your facts in an historical perspective. Who was the only legislator that actually switched parties? It was only one, Strom Thurmond. You give me another example of, of um, you know, uh, Democrats turning to the Republican Party. Why would any Democrat become a Republican, Leo? I mean, Strom well, Thurmond did sorry, because he I, was, I he was, a, he, Strom, I, I said, why would any Democrat become a Republican? It was Strom no, Thurmond because did because he was a racist. The, 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 he was the, openly the a racist. Switch, and that the Democrats are now today's Republicans, and that's why. No, I didn't say the Democrats are today's Republicans. I said the Republicans supported uh, Jim Crow laws, too. Both parties mm -hmm. were racist up until 1965 when the Democrats repudiated it. The Republicans have yet to do that. <laughs> so what do you think? you think the Republicans... Uh, go ahead and and, uh, and and agree that that, that racism is okay. That's, that's, I have not that's heard. I've not heard anybody repudiate. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. I don't think that they need to. I mean, just oh God. Right. Okay. So you think it's just self-evident? We're not. We're not racist. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Julio Rivera, right. not racist. <laughs> um, and I believe you're not, you're not racist, racist Julio. I, I believe that of you. ReactionaryTimes.com is his website. You can tweet him at Oh Yeah, it's Julio. Julio, thanks for dropping by. Thank you so much for having me. As always, yeah. Talk, talk to you soon. Thank you. We'll be back. And welcome back. It's our geeky science hit here. The, yep, there you go, our geeky science music. Our geeky science for today is about pharmaceuticals, uh, specifically Ambien. Roseanne Barr, after her wild racist tweet, comes out and says, well, you know, I was Ambien tweeting. And the manufacturer of Ambien, uh, which is a sleepy pill, Sanofil, uh, Sanofil tweets this morning. <laughs> this is, yeah, it was this morning. This is hysterical. People of all races, religions, and nationalities work at Sanofil every day to improve the lives of people all around the world. And while all pharmaceutical treatments have side effects, racism is not a known side effect of any Sanofil medication. <laughs> oh, meanwhile, Roseanne is, uh, you know, a couple of her cast members and colleagues, specifically Sarah Gilbert and Michael Fishman, have tweeted, you know, things like, boy, you know, horrified by... Well, Sarah said Roseanne's comments uh, about Valerie Jarrett and so much more are abhorrent and don't reflect the beliefs of the Catholic crew. And Roseanne Barr tweets, wow, unreal. I mean, she's, she's sticking with it. It's a bizarre. And uh, just FYI, the woman who is now the, uh, the head of ABC Entertainment, uh, Channing Dungy, is African -American, an African-American woman who just fired Roseanne Barr. So I think that's, that's great. Okay, our poll. We had uh, 14 votes yes, impeach. We had 10 votes no, don't impeach. 
Here's my take on it. I agree with Nancy Pelosi uh, with a qualification. The, the assumption that what, what Pelosi was saying was that if we rush into impeach, let's say the Democrats take the House, so they literally could impeach Trump. It would then go to the Senate where he almost certainly would not be convicted because it requires two-thirds of the Senate. But, uh, you know, let's say the, the House votes to impeach. I, you know, that if, there, if, it beca if, the Demo if the Republicans are still defending Trump, it's going to blow up in our faces. Just like the Democrats held tight with Bill Clinton all through that impeachment, and that's why it blew up in the Republicans' faces. The caveat is, if Mueller comes, comes out with clear, unambiguous evidence of real crimes and corruption that Republicans can look at and say, oh my God, this guy really is a crook, just like they did in 73 or 74, whichever year it was that Nixon, I guess it was 73 that he finally resigned, um, just as they did with Nixon. I mean, if, if, if you can get the Republicans to say, oh my God, then, of course, go ahead with the impeachment. So, you know, there's, there, you know, that's, that's my thoughts on that. George in Chicago. Hey, George, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's on your mind today? Well, your guest earlier, the guy from the Reactionary Times. Julio uh, Rivera. I, uh, yeah, I believe that he said that uh, Strom Thurmond was like the only Democrat that became a Republican. I guess he forgot about Ronald Reagan. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Governor John Connolly of Texas yeah. a Republican when he became Nixon's Treasury Secretary, and he ran as a Republican in 76 to the presidential nomination, garnering only one delegate vote. Hmm. And then there's Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama, Bill Graham of Texas, the uh, two days ago resigned former governor of Missouri, the Eric sexual pervert, was a Democrat who became Republican, as hmm. was the guy that uh, Al Franken defeated for the Senate in Minnesota. And that's only the tip of the iceberg because there's tens of millions of Americans who were raised in working-class households who was, have been voting against their own interests as Republicans uh, when they were for Democrats or should be Democrats. I mean, this is a, a societal shift mm. that's been going on for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that concerns me is that there's also a societal shift happening on the right. Um, you're, you're seeing money flooding into uh, right-wing organizations, you know, like the, the uh, Mercers, the billionaire Mercers funding or helping to fund Breitbart. You know, nakedly racist publications, um, you know, getting enormous support from, from this, these hard-right funders. And, you know, frankly, the Republican Party has been using racism as a tool ever since Nixon. Um, and, and, and it's, well, and, and ever since the Democrats, uh, you know, in 65 said, we're no longer the party of the racists. The, the Republicans have said, you know, we're still the party of the racists and we're going to go with this. And, and this is why uh, the Roseanne issue has become partisan, which is just totally bizarre. I mean, it's just totally bizarre. One, one other little point, Tom. Um, yep. The woman you were talking about earlier who's running for the Senate, her last name is pronounced Coburn. Okay. And I believe she's oh, the wife of Alexander Coburn. Uh, and Ooh. she's currently being pilloried uh, for being an anti-Zionist and anti-Semitic based on writings she did 25 or 30 years ago. Oh, my. Well, let's, let's hope that a Democrat can pick up that seat. George, thank you for the call. Uh, Anita in San Antonio. Hey, Anita, what's up? Yeah, I don't think we should be looking at impeachment politically and how it affects Democrats. It's, it's bigger than that. Well, but impeachment is not a legal process. It's a purely political process. So how can you not put it in a political frame? Well, because it is not, it's about what he's doing to this country. Right. We have to remember that. It, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not about whether it's legal or illegal. 
It's what he's doing to this country. He's tearing us apart. Well, no, it has to be. There has to be a dimension of, of at least a patina of legality there, because the Constitution says Why? high crimes. He may only be impeached, or he or she may only be impeached for high crimes or misdemeanors against the United okay, States. Okay. So okay, I don't. Go ahead. Yeah, you don't think that he has committed high crimes or misdemeanors? I absolutely think he has, but the Republican Party so far does not agree. I mean, everything that he has done so far that I would call a high crime, uh, well, you know, if... What matter what the Republicans think? But if, 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 for example, we could prove, if Mueller could prove that Trump uh, helped out TMZ, I think, or whatever the name of that company is, that uh, Chinese cell phone manufacturer that the Pentagon has banned because their phones can be used to spy on American citizens. If, if Trump is undoing that ban because the Chinese gave a half a billion dollars to a hotel with his name on it in Indonesia, or because the yeah. Chinese gave 34 trademarks to his daughter, which are going to represent probably hundreds of millions of dollars of profit to her and her husband, if, if we could prove that he did that, I think probably Republicans, well, even then, I'm not sure Republicans would, would say impeach the guy. Well, I'm not sure they're going to either. But and I'm not sure even if the Democrats pick the House, whether he'll be convicted in the Senate. But that, I think, is beside the point. He is destroying this country. He, and even James Clapper said he was put there. He's illegitimate. He needs to be taken out of office. Or yeah. he, we need to stand. We need to stand all around. We need to stand up for what's right. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Anita. And I think that if but the, the, the simple political reality is if you can't convince at least a handful, at least a, 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 a measurable symbolic quantity of Republicans that the crimes Trump has committed are worthy of removing him from office. Well, it ain't going to happen. Well, it's not about it's not the and it's going to help the Republicans. It's about and, and then in the next election, you get way. more Republicans in the House and Senate making life miserable for all of us. And Trump right. has but even we, more power. But if we can, but if we, can, we convince we need to sell this to the American people, we need to let them know but every time a Democrat goes up to a microphone, they should be talking about this. They should be talking about the things that he's doing, the crimes that he's committed. They should be talking about the fact that he's illegitimate. Every single time yeah. they go to a microphone. And we need to convince the American people because the Republican Party, the people, the elected Republicans, are not going to vote for impeachment until their constituents want impeachment. Yeah. Or until their I, constituents are okay with it. That's yeah. what this is all about. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. and I understand. Anita, thank you for the call. Eric in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey. Your thoughts, Eric? Uh, Tom, I, I, just about regarding impeachment, um, I think the evidence most likely is there. I obviously don't know, but I think you have the Democrats have no choice. Forget the Republicans, because it's it's the morally correct thing to do. And who is it who said what's morally correct is politically correct or something of that that nature? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if so you, I, but I, but see, in order to do that, there has to be a consensus about what's moral. And on, on the Republican side right now. Robbing working class people, stealing their pensions, uh, cutting their wages, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, destroying their right to have a union. That's just fine. That's entirely moral from their point of view. And using that money to enrich the top 1% from the Republican point of view, that's a fine thing. That's not a breach of morality. So what's the breach of morality that the, that the Republicans would agree with us on, Eric? I, I don't think we... They, the Republicans have no morals. We can't worry about them. We have to get the facts out to the American people. Okay. Forget the Republicans. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Thank you for the call. Helen in Ithaca, New York, listening to WRSI. Hey, hey Helen, what's up? Hey, good morning. Um, I wanted to tie together the two issues of impeachment and uh, uh, people turning from Democrats to Republicans. Mm -hmm. And the issue is Mike Pence. So impeachment, if we impeach Trump, we're going to be stuck with Mike Pence. 
<laughs> maybe. I mean, it may. Mike Pence, keep in mind, was in charge of the transition, right? So we can impeach both of them, hopefully. And, 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 and I, it sure does look like there were serious crimes committed during that transition. But also, Mike Pence, he has one grandfather who was born in Ireland. I have grandparents born in Ireland, too. So he was raised Irish Catholic Democrat, and he became a freako, born-again Christian fanatic, Republican, and, um, you know, so he, he's one of those, you were talking about people switching. He's one of those people that switched. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, good point, Helen. Helen, thank you for the call. Thanks for listening to WRSI. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, last, Friday, last Thursday, I shared this with you briefly. I wanted to amplify on it today. Uh, you know, we were talking about TV shows that are nice to binge watch over the holiday weekend. And, uh, you know, somebody recommended to us, by the way, in response to my pitching this uh, uh, story, uh, Person of Interest, which Louise and I have started watching. And thank you for that recommendation. It was great. But the, this was from the, from the show Taken. It's uh, an NBC show. It's in its second season, I believe, and uh, every episode, these guys have been have been fighting against big corporations, giant pharmaceutical companies, evil billionaires, and in this one little clip, the woman who is the boss is describing to one of the people who works for her, and and this the protagonist of this show, uh, what 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 they're up against in this particular episode, and it's something that she refers to as economic hitmen. Here is the clip. Economic hitmen are hired to infiltrate developing countries and manipulate their governments in order to steal their natural resources. Steal for whom? Corporations. Big oil, big pharma. The hitmen, they go in and they convince local leaders to take out loans for construction or engineering projects necessary to harvest the natural resources. And then invariably, when those countries default on the loans, then the corporations move in and take everything. Colonialism 2.0. It's crafty. Fraud, rigged elections, extortion, sex, murder, whatever it takes. Economic hitmen are very well connected and not to be trifled with. Well, so there you go. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, my God, it's our old buddy John Perkins. Uh, his, his, he's the author of nine books. He's an economist, activist, author of nine books, including Confessions of an Economic Hitman and the follow-up, The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman. His website is johnperkins.org. You can tweet him at economic underscore hitman. And, uh, John, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've talked. I hope all is well with you and yours. Yes, um, thank you so much. It's great to be back with you. And I, I didn't realize that that was on a show. I'm really, that's really gratifying to, to hear because I do hear that the word is out a lot more, that the truth, truth is coming out. Yeah, it's uh, season two, episode 10, if you want to track it down, and uh, which was just like, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And it's just, you know, I just, economic hit, man. Oh, it's like, oh my God, this is John Perkins. So, John, you, you brought this word, this phrase, into common uh, usage with your book, e Confessions of an Economic Hitman, your best selling book. Um, it, but it's been a while since we've had this conversation. I mean, not just you and me, but the, the country. And uh, so, uh, can you recap for us exactly what is an economic hitman and what did you do in that role? Well, I think it, it's fair to say that. Economic hitmen have really created the world's first truly global empire. It's really a corporate empire. Uh, and my job was to identify countries with resources our corporations want, like oil. 
And I had a staff of up to 50 people uh, working with me to produce reports that would prove that, that if we made huge loans to those countries, if those countries accepted huge loans from the World Bank, the IMF and other such organizations, and their economies would grow because they would invest the money in infrastructure, power plants and industrial parks and things that would benefit the corporations that built those, which were our corporations, and a few wealthy people in the countries, the people who own the industries and the commercial establishments. But the majority of the people would suffer because money would be diverted from education, health care, and other social services uh, to pay off the interest on the debt. And in the end, the debt wouldn't be paid off. The, whole, the principal couldn't be paid off. So we'd go back and say, hey, look, you owe us money. Uh, so to pay off your debt, sell your oil or whatever the resources, real cheap to our corporations, privatize your public sector businesses like your utility companies, their water and sewer and such things, and, and sell them to our investors. Uh, vote with us against Cuba or the next United Nations vote or let us build a military base on your soil or whatever. So although the, the country went into debt tremendously, uh, they, they never actually saw the money. The money went directly from a bank in Washington, D.C. Or, or someplace to, to Houston to pay Brown and Root or some other company, uh, a U.S. corporation, to make huge profits building these projects. And in the few cases where the leaders of the countries wouldn't accept this, when I came out on that TV clip, um, we, the people we called jackals would go in and either overthrow the governments or assassinate their leaders. Two of my clients that, that did not play the game, Jaime Roldos of Ecuador and Omar Torrijos of Panama, and they both died in what I'm certain were assassinations. Whoa. So, uh, wow. And so the economic hitmen doing what you're describing, this, this uh, what some would simply describe as austerity politics or economics, um, they're operating on behalf of a country, on behalf of a particular corporation, or both? In, in my day, we were what I would call generic. We wanted the US, a U.S. corporation to get these big contracts. And we wanted to be part of it, of course, which we almost always were as a, as a subcontractor or whatever, a consultant. But we didn't really care which kind, whether it went to Bechtel or Brown and Root or Stone and Webster. But today, those kinds of people are still out there. But now also every major corporation has its own private brand of economic hitmen, and they're out trying to get those deals. They're out promoting their way, whether it's, whether it's Walmart or Nike or Exxon or whoever. They're trying to get tax breaks from countries. They're, they're pitting countries against, country against country to get better tax breaks, to get better labor relations situations, and so on and so forth. So the reason I wrote the new Confessions of an Economic Hitman about 12 years after the original was because things had actually gotten a lot worse. And in addition to all that, Tom, as, as you well know, we in the United States are being hit, too, you know, with huge amounts of debt, uh, education debt, credit card debt, health care debt. And when you have large amounts of debt like that, whether you're an individual or a country, you're, you're enslaved. You're, you're, you're really part of a system that you can't get out of, and you've got to play the game pretty much. And, and that's where we're at right now. So what's the solution to this, John Perkins? Well, I think the solution is for all of us to understand this and to understand that, that there are really two realities that, that, that guide the world. There's an objective reality, the microphones we're talking over right now, and there's a perceived reality, which are the words that we're speaking. And almost all of human activity is determined by perceived reality. There really are no countries. There's no religion. There's no culture. There are no corporations except as we perceive them. And when enough people accept a perception or codify it into law, it then it has a huge impact on objective reality. 
and the perceived reality, particularly after Milton Friedman won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 1976, it had been growing, but that really struck a nerve when he said the only responsibility of business is to maximize short-term shareholder profits, regardless of the social and environmental costs. And that opened the door for corporations, for CEOs to say, hey, I, I not only should, but I have a mandate to do whatever it takes to maximize profits regardless. And, and that includes corrupting politicians, uh, destroying resources upon which my business depends ultimately, uh, uh, exploiting labor, exploiting resources, exploiting everything. And that's really led us to what I call a death economy, an economic system that's based to a large degree on warfare and also destroying the earth, <laughs> consuming the very resources upon which we depend. We need to change that perception and say, listen, the, the responsibility of business, of all of us, is to create a renewable, an economic system that's a renewable resource. Yes, let's pay investors a decent rate of return, but let's invest our money into things that clean up pollution, uh, regenerate destroyed environments, new technologies that don't dig the earth up, that don't require new digging up resources that, that you know, recycle and that use more of the sun and the air. It's a very exciting time. That's what I call a life economy. And it takes a change of perception. And that's really all it takes. And once you start changing that perception, then people take actions to, uh, to move into that new perception. And throughout history, we've seen huge changes because of changes in perception. You know, a classic one is when Copernicus told us that, uh, that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. <laughs> you know, that the earth revolves around the sun. That changed everything. But there are, but there are more recent, and, and there are more recent political realities. I mean, the acceptance of gay marriage, for example, how quickly that happened. Uh, although there is backlash again, just like you know the, the civil rights in the '60s, and the, and the backlash came. Um, but but it seems to me that we're moving in, in a, that this country has always moved in a progressive direction. We go, we do it in fits and starts, but we've always moved in that direction. And that you know, Trump notwithstanding, and, and corporate misbehavior notwithstanding, um, if we can make it through this, if we don't devolve into an autocratic form of government, and I, I am very, I've got a piece up on alternate right now about my concerns about that. But if we can make through this, then, then I think we have tremendous progressive upside here. I totally agree. I think our shadow has come out. We're looking at our shadow. The rest yeah. of the world is seeing our shadow. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really good thing. It's tough to go through, and the court systems are going to suffer for a long time, and tax policy. There's, there's a lot of suffering that's going to go on in this, but that's what happens. And, you know, there's a, if, if, you, if you light a match in a dark room, the darkness can't snuff out the match. And, in fact, the darker the room is, the brighter the match is. And I think that's what we're doing now. What you're doing, what I'm trying to do, and what many, many people around the world are doing is we're lighting matches all over the world. We're, we're piercing the darkness. And the darkness will not be able to snuff it out. I agree with you that human history is one of survival. It's one of flexibility. It's one of changing perceptions yeah. when we need to do that. It's a great metaphor. John, we're, we're out of time, but johnperkins.org is the website, the book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and the new Confessions of an Economic Hitman. You can tweet him at economic underscore hitman. John, thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Keep up the great work. Great having you with us. We'll be right back. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs, and if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X-Chair. The X-Chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body 
in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X chair. And the X chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X-Chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, dot com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, return it for a full refund. Order today and save 100 bucks and get free shipping. If you go to xchairtom.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free foot rest. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. xchairtom.com. Welcome back. It's 22 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman Program, helping you win the water cooler wars. Donald Trump last night uh, had a rally in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, he, was, he was there to support uh, Representative Marsha Blackburn. And he told a bunch of lies. I mean, just straight up, flat out lies. And to her credit, Stephanie Rule on uh, MSNBC this morning said, these are lies. <laughs> We're not going to call them falsehoods or untruths anymore. They're lies. He said, for example... The Democrats, and I quote, don't want the walls. They want open borders. They're more interested in taking care of criminals than they are in taking care of you. It's a simple lie. I mean, Democrats are not not in favor of building more of a wall along the southern border, but that's just because it's a stupid idea. You know, most people who come into this country don't come across the Mexican border. They come in on a tourist visa, something like three million people a year. And then they just stay out their visa. You know, they got a six-month visa, and after six months, they've just kind of vanished into the into the woodwork. And yeah, you've got a few people who are so poor they can't even get a visa or a passport in Mexico or Guatemala or whatever, or they don't want to raise the, uh, the attention of the authorities, and so they end up on our border. But, uh, th- you know, that, that is not something that a wall is going to prevent unless you turn us into Berlin. I mean, this is crazy. But, you know, to say that, that Democrats are more interested in taking care of cr- criminals than they are in taking care of you, that, that's... that's I mean, Huey Longism, that's, it's even beyond that. That is, that is the kind of talk that you hear from absolute autocrats. He went on to say, Democrats have opposed every common sense measure to stop this horrendous scourge of crime, to dismantle MS-13, and to stop illegal immigration. It's a flat-out lie. He uh, referred to Nancy Pelosi as the MS-13 lover. A lie. He said, how do you like the fact that they had people infiltrating our campaign? Can you imagine people infiltrating our campaign? No, nobody infiltrated the Trump campaign, you know, unless, unless it was Paul Manafort's, you know, Russian buddies. Nobody infiltrated that campaign. Certainly no FBI people did. But the president said this last night. And we have a history, a tradition in this country of believing what our president says. You know, respect the president and the, uh, the presidency and the president. And now we've got a guy who is such a naked liar. I mean, literally nine major lies in one speech last night. He told this whole, well, the Washington Post calls it a, or the New York Times calls it a richly embellished story, which is a way of saying a really whopper lie that he saved us a billion dollars with the embassy in Jerusalem. The problem is that, you know, we didn't, we didn't open an embassy in Jerusalem from scratch. 
we took the consulate building, which is basically where most of the embassy functions were being done in Jerusalem because it's the seat of government for Israel. We took that building and changed the sign out front. Instead of saying consular, it says embassy. And a few people moved from the embassy in Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, but that's it. But there's still going to be an embassy built in Jerusalem, and it's still going to cost a whole pile of money. And Donald Trump didn't negotiate a damn thing. He's just lying about this. He went on to say that uh, African-Americans have supported Democrats for over 100 years. Another lie. In my father's generation, African, many African-Americans were Republicans. Lincoln freed the slaves. And the Republican Party took credit for that. Now, they abandoned that position in the 1870s, 1880s, but they took credit for it right up until, you know, up, up until 65. And then in 64 and 65, when the Civil Rights Acts were passed, the Voting Rights Acts were passed, then the Republicans could no longer claim to be the party of Lincoln. And African-Americans started abandoning the Republican Party and going to the Democratic Party, depending on where they live, what part of the country. And so you've got this, this lie from Donald Trump. African-Americans supported Democrats for over 100 years. This is a simple lie. He's got another, another, another lie. He says, uh, in the end, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. They're going to pay for the wall, and they're going to enjoy it, okay? Which is how men used to badly joke about things like rape. I mean, that's, that's pretty awful. And immediately, President Enrique Pena Nieto of Mexico tweeted at Trump, Donald, real Donald Trump, no, Mexico will never, in all caps, never pay for a wall. Not now, not ever. Sincerely, Mexico, parenthesis, all of us, close parenthesis. Is Trump just lying through his teeth? No president. Well, I'll tell you this one after this break. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Call 202-808-9925. Actually, I can just do it. He says, no president has accomplished more than he has in the first year and a half. Another simple, bald-faced lie. Back with your calls after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us, progressive independent journalist Jordan Cheriton. Uh, he's uh, typically reporting on political corruption, environmental contamination, and the disappearing middle class over at his website, jordancheriton.com. You can tweet him at Jordan Cheriton. Uh, Jordan, welcome back to the program. You're uh, reporting from Flint, Michigan all this week? I am. So tell us what's going on there. Yeah, I've been working on a major piece that I published yesterday uh, that really dissects the actual testing of the water here in Flint over the last two years. Uh, very recently, uh, an EPA-funded scientist declared that the water was meeting uh, federal standards, and the state of Michigan has declared that the water is now, uh, you know, quote, restored. And this is what allowed Governor Snyder to shut down the water pods in Flint uh, several weeks ago, citing this data. So I just published a piece that basically shows uh, as far as I can tell, that the science has some serious holes in it, and uh, there's very, very cherry-picked testing and uh, flawed testing that's gone on here to declare the water uh, safe. So I'm uh, speaking with residents, plumbers, uh, politicians here this week about that reporting. What kind of, I, I know you can play games with whether or not you allow water to run before you test it or how long you let it run, things like that. I mean, in what ways are they are they gaming the system or scamming the, the residents of Flint in order to be able to, uh, you know, avoid the cost of passing out bottled water, basically? Yeah, so basically there's two different uh, test 
You had an EPA-funded scientist uh, by the name of Mark Edwards, as well as the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality. Edwards actually declared the water, you know, normal uh, and meeting federal regulations by testing literally 34 homes. He cited 34 homes uh, in a city of nearly 40,000 saying, I met EPA regulations. He also, uh, as part of the EPA's... Were those those 34 homes clustered in an area that was low risk or were they randomly scattered throughout the city? Randomly scattered throughout the city. Well, that that Um, might not be unreasonable. You do small samples to project large trends. I mean, that's how exit polling works, for example. Yeah, there, there's a lot of problems with it. First, uh, he, to meet the EPA's letting copper rule, you actually have to be testing over half of your sample size has to be from homes connected to lead service lines. Obviously, lead is going to leach from lead service lines. Mostly. Right. Uh, there's no verification that these homes are even lead. I have them on the record uh, basically saying that's a problem with the lead and copper rule. We, we don't know. The second part of that is Edwards, as well as the state, used old uh, records that were literally written on index cards uh, to surmise that the homes they were testing were actually connected to lead service lines. The, these records, eleven to 15,000 homes were missing. I have uh, the director of this study literally on the record telling me, yeah, I mean, the study was very flawed because records were missing. A lot of the uh, homes had to be thrown out because it was unreadable on the index cards what service line they had, whether it was lead, whether it was cop- uh, copper. You also had uh, the state. Um, the state was really cherry-picking where they were testing homes. The two zip codes with the highest blood lead level content found was barely had homes tested. So uh, basically, this is a story not just about Flint, but about the inadequate uh, EPA regulations in the first place that are allowing this small sample size, imperfect uh, records to be used to declare, you know, a city like Flint that had this man-made disaster now safe for uh, drinking water. Remarkable. So is there going to be any pushback or, you know, is, has this become political? Is, you know, what's happening in Flint, uh, you know, right now? Yeah, so residents have been, you know, really fighting back because they're being told, you know, the water is, is safe. But meanwhile, residents I'm talking to and interviewing have ongoing health problems that are new. You know, they're, they're showering and bathing and having stinging uh, in their eyes, ongoing rashes. You have ongoing autoimmune, autoimmune issues, cancers, kidney, liver. Uh, you're also having, um, you know, stacks and stacks of medical bills. So the residents have been saying you cannot shut down these water pods until all the lead service lines are replaced in the city. But the governor, citing this data that my story is about, said, well, our, our EPA testing shows that uh, the, the water is now back to normal levels, so I'm shutting down the water pods. So you have residents, you know, through the city council, they're trying to get the water pods reopened. Uh, they're trying to get more thorough testing because it's not just a lead problem. They have found really alarming levels of bacteria here in Flint and bacteria causing all sorts of health illnesses. So the residents are fighting back. Unfortunately, you know, this, this governor, Rick Snyder, who obviously, uh, you know, oversaw this uh, really big disaster, has been doing everything possible to essentially skirt responsibility for paying for water bottles, things like that. Uh, so it's really residents fighting back more than actual politicians. Are there any specific organizations? I mean, if somebody uh, listening or watching to the, this program right now were to want to go to a website and, you know, uh, sign a petition or kick in 15 bucks or whatever, uh, you know, what do they do? Yeah, Flint Rising is an organization I've uh, interviewed a few times. Uh, the, you know, residents from Flint, uh, they have been doing grassroots organizing here, organizing protests. 
Uh, definitely organizing water donations. I think their website is flintrising.com, if I'm uh, mistaken. Um, there's also donations coming in now to churches, uh, I believe the Court Street Church uh, here in Flint for water since Snyder shut down the water pods. Right. Uh, there are there are organizations um, helping, but really the, the most important thing is people need to get informed because, uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying as far as, well, small sample size are used all the time, but for, for a disaster like Flint, you know, looking at that few homes, also really relying on really shoddy records of, of where the lead service lines even are. They just found last week that there's 14,000 lead service lines still in the ground. That's 15% more than was projected. Wow. Uh, so really there's a lot of problems here as far as, um, you know, basically the science, they're, they're using this one-size-fits-all EPA regulation but the city has way more lead service lines than were thought, and we're still seeing. I've counted uh, over 150 in the last six months elevated lead samples uh, coming back across the city. There's also a staggering level of homes that were last tested in 2016 or 2017. They had hundreds of parts per billion over the EPA level, which is 15 parts per billion is the allowable limit. Uh, the homes that had hundreds of parts over were never retested. I spoke with a gentleman. He had 11,000 parts per billion of lead in his home. They never went back to retest it. And that's all across the city. There's homes like that. So I think it's really premature to declare the water restored. Uh, I've Aaron Brockovich in the story, uh, you know, Congressman Dan Kildee, who represents Flint, basically questioning the science because it, it's, it's really hard to believe that you could declare the water safe here when there's so few homes that have been tested. And like I said, the records are very suspect. Amazing. Jordan Cheriton, progressive independent journalist. Uh, Jordan Cheriton, C-H-A-R-I-T-O-N dot com is the website and the, the Twitter handle as well is Jordan Cheriton. Jordan, thanks. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be here all week, youtube.com slash Jordan Cheriton reports. You got it. We'll be back. Thank you. It's 34 minutes past the hour. It's the Tom Hartman program, Viagra for your brain, but it does not lead to stiff thinking. Uh, let's see here, Terry in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Terry, thanks for listening to AM950. What's up? Yeah, am I on the air? You are, Terry. What's on your mind? All right. Well, I just wanted to get up to speed on, uh, we've got 10 candidates running for Wisconsin mm -hmm. governorship. And uh, I want to tell you, Tom, a lot of people like Trump that I have coffee with, but they don't like Walker. So it's... An interesting phenomenon. That's very yeah. interesting. What? 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 How, how do they differentiate between the two? That's what I. I say they're one of the same. They believe in the, you know, the same Republican principles. Yeah, so. they're both they're both weasels, and and you know, Walker serves the interests of the billionaires. Trump is one. Mm-hmm. So I mean, but I think we got a real good chance to knock him off in in the state of Wisconsin here. I, I really do. We haven't had the primary yet, but. Uh, like I say, there's 10 people running, so excellent chance. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Terry, thanks for the call. Uh, Brian in Dubuque, Iowa. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Um, I was going to say something, but I'm not sure it's really worth anything. Um, so I'm going to rattle off some lyrics from a song real quick. It's just real short. Each of us, a cell of awareness, imperfect and incomplete. Genetic blends with uncertain ends on a fortune hunt that's far too fleet. Have a good day, Tom. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thanks, Brian. That was interesting. Wayne in Chicago. Hey, Wayne, what's on your mind? Hey, good afternoon, Tom. Hey, Wayne. You want to yeah, talk about Roseanne? 
Yeah, real quickly, um, Tom, I said about maybe three weeks ago, maybe four, I think when her show first started again, um, I saw, I don't even watch TV, but for some reason I, I caught this. Uh, they rolled out a couch with her and uh, John Goodman on Jimmy Kimmel's show. Now, I watched I watched uh, Jimmy's interview with her. She was uh, cursing all the time during the interview. Actually, she was disrespecting Jimmy, but he was, like, playing it off. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. He was just saying whatever she wanted to say. So nobody should be surprised by what Roseanne said. No, she tweeted something like this back in 2013 about Susan Rice, calling calling her a, a, a well, uh, implying that she was an ape, also. Right. I mean, Roseanne has always been a loose cannon. You know, I've never liked her since she did the national anthem that day. What she did that day. Uh, yeah, grabbed her crotch. Yeah. But but here's my point, Tom. Uh, there was there's a talk show host. Now he's not. Um, this format is not conservative. It's um, overnight, one of the one of the most popular late night shows overnight right now, like from midnight to four a.m. Central Time. Yeah, you talking about George uh, Norrie? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, he, he said point blank, uh, I would fire every player, every African American player who would not who would kneel during the national anthem. Yeah, I consider that even worse than Roseanne because. He's always trying to play like he's on the up and up, up and up. He's straight. He's not racist, none of that. But he always has on these um, right-wing conservative guests yeah. at the beginning of the show. So that was my tip-off right there. But he finally showed, showed his whole card and let me know what he was. Yeah, it's really sad because Art Bell used to be, a, a, you know, he just didn't, he didn't uh, get into partisan politics at all. He was all about the paranormal and what's going on and freaky stuff right. and, you know, conspiracy theories and whatnot, but not ones that were partisan. Or political. I, I I I didn't know Art Bell well, but I met Art Bell, and and you know we were in the same industry. You know, we'd meet at industry events. I don't know George. Uh, I've I, I know people who know George, and they think of him as a very decent and nice guy. But uh, it right. seems to me that some of these guys. You know, I told the story yesterday about the the conservative guy who runs one of the major conservative websites who told me that I could become a multimillionaire if I simply became a conservative, and you know started taking conservative positions. There, I, I, oh, I know it's true. And, and, in fact, he was willing to help make it happen. Uh, and, and, of course, that ain't going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy where I am and doing what I'm doing. But, but I can understand the pressure on somebody whose show is otherwise not political to make it a little more political in order to get on a few more stations because a lot of these, uh, particularly some of the bigger stations, are owned by companies that basically only want right-wing programming. And, and, you know, I don't know if that's the case with George, and I haven't heard him say those things. I haven't, frankly, listened to his show in years, but, you know, he does a good show. I don't listen to it because I'm sound asleep. But, um, you know, there are, your your point, Wayne, that, you know, what Roseanne said, you know, shouldn't surprise us. You know, absolutely. And that that kind of rhetoric, uh, you know, what George Norrie might have said, you know, amplify that times a hundred. You know, he didn't mind said it. He said it, Tom. Yeah, no, I believe it. I believe you, Wayne. You've never, you've never lied to me. I believe you. But my point is that that there, that the guys who are doing what I do, which is daytime commentary on news and politics, are even worse. They're, you know, radically worse. And you know, when when it term when it comes to you know racial dog whistling. And, you know, particularly, uh, well, I don't even want to name any individuals. I, I just, you know, these guys are my colleagues, but I'm, I'm, I'm very disappointed in what's going on. Wayne, well, thanks for the call. Let me, let me say one more thing, Tom. Yeah, let me say go, one more thing. Go for it. Um, 
when he started bringing on those these conservative right wing people, George Norrie, yeah, our bell was mad about it, Tom. He was mad, and he let George know, but he kept doing it. Yeah, well, and Art's dead now, so you know it's George's franchise, and and he'll do with it what he wants. I suspect that over the long term, the people who get deeply in bed with with these hardcore right wingers, particularly the ones, the most toxic ones, the ones that are spreading racial hatred and misogyny. The people who get in bed with them are going to end up being burned. But, right. you know, time will tell. You know, uh, time will tell. Anyhow, uh, Wayne, thanks for the call. Glenn in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hey, Wayne, what's on your mind? Hey, it's Glenn. Hey, anyways, thanks, Tom, for taking the call. Hey, I just wanted to know when you were finally going to give up and accept the fact that Hillary Clinton lost the election because she was a terrible candidate. I supported Trump because I did not want another politician like Hillary Clinton in office. She lost because she was a bad candidate. Russia had absolutely nothing to do with it. I served in the military in the United States Marine Corps, and I guarantee I wouldn't support something Russia did. Hillary lost because she was a bad candidate. Why don't you guys accept that and move forward and try to win next time? Stop whining about past. Well, I've been saying for some time, Glenn, that I thought that Hillary Clinton was not the best candidate at the time. The, the times were calling for change, and she was perceived as the establishment candidate. And, and, you know, that her campaign, Robbie Mook, ran a terrible campaign. I mean, the, you know, the guy should never be hired by anybody ever again, and, so, and, and, and the Podestas as well. But that said, if, if, you were to, if you were to look at, for example, Detroit, where 75,000 people stood in line, African-Americans, all, stood in line for hours, or the majority certainly, stood in line for hours to vote, and then didn't bother to vote for president. 75,000 people in a state Trump only won by 10,500 votes. If you look at Wisconsin, where Scott Walker purged over 100,000 people off the voting rolls, knocked them off the voting rolls so that when they showed up to vote, they were given provisional ballots, which were never counted in Wisconsin. Over 100,000 of those people, principally in Milwaukee, largely African-American. And, and Trump won Wisconsin by, what, 13,000 votes, as I recall. Same thing in Pennsylvania. Over 200,000 people purged off the voting rolls, almost all of them African-American. When you look at those, just those three states, Hillary Clinton would have won all of those states if the Republicans hadn't tried to rig the election. Glenn, I'm not buying this, this you know, it's all Hillary's fault thing. You know, yeah, she's a so flawed candidate and, and, and ran a flawed campaign, but I still believe that she won the election and that, and that election fraud was being done by partisan Republicans in those states, particularly voter suppression. But also, I want to know what the hell happened with those 75,000 voting machines in, in Detroit that failed to record a vote for president when people very carefully voted for their, their city uh, council member, their mayor, their state senator, their state representative, their national, their U.S. member of Congress, and one of their senators. They voted for all those people, and then they left president of the United States blank? I don't think so. Your well, turn, Glenn. You know, if you could prove that in court, maybe you could go somewhere. But I don't have to prove it in a court. It's, it's, it's already established. Nobody is denying it. Michigan, you know, Rick Snyder, the, the Republican Party of Michigan, they go, yep, 75,000 people didn't bother to vote for, for Republicans. It must be because they're, they're in Detroit and they must be, you know, just dumb black people. I mean, that's basically how, how the, the white Republican establishment has been spinning this in the media and in response to this. It's been known for some time, you know, since the election, basically. Glenn, there's, there's some really evil stuff going on in this country. And as far as I can tell, it's got nothing to do with Democrats or Clintons. We'll be back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, Damien in Manorville, New York. says, Hey, what's going on, Tom? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Listen, I think ABC should have had, they had every right to fire her. Uh, every single right. And because they don't want Roseanne attached to the brand 
of ABC. Well, plus so it was starting to lose the money. I mean, there was within minutes of that tweet, there was talk about a, an well, advertiser like boycott. Like I said, it doesn't matter. It's their, it's their, their private organization. They have every right. You're absolutely right, Damien. And they Damian. don't want to attach. So now here's the deal. When the Giants, New York Giants, asked Colin Kaepernick to come and try out, thousands of fans, literally, contacted the Giants and said, if that guy suits up, we will never be Giants fans ever again. And you know what the organization said? We don't want this guy associated with our brand. Right. How is that any different? Because now all of a sudden there's collusion. It, what if the NFL said, no, you're fired? That's our policy. And it's the exact same thing, except that now we're turning the Kaepernick thing into a racist issue where the, the that's because Kaepernick was protesting. That, uh, Damien, that's because Ka Kaepernick was protesting racist policing policies. But, but you're absolutely right, legally. I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the NFL and individual teams can pretty much do what they want with their players. That's how corporations are set up in the United States. They're basically kingdoms. And the laws support that. And, and I wouldn't want to change those laws. The question is, what kind of damage does it do long term? It may be that the Giants looking at Kaepernick and hearing from a whole bunch of racist white fans that they don't want Kaepernick and bowing to that pressure, it may be over the short term that that helped the Giants. But I suggest that over the long term, it's really going to harm their brand. And, and although apparently all the other NFL teams have made the decision right now that Kaepernick is not, uh, you know, that, that they'd rather keep the white racist fans going because that is you know whites are the largest percentage of the fan base for the nfl and and you know there's always a slice of racists among white people hold on hold on just because somebody is against kaepernick and what he's doing that people can say there's other ways to protest well look think about this if the n-word even if it's repeated in a rap song by a white person if the black audience says whoa 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 that's offensive to us you have to cater to your audience well, maybe that's the same thing with the black players. If it's offending the audience, they should find a different way to protest because you have to think about the fan base, and it doesn't necessarily. Yeah, Damien, what you're missing, racist. what you're missing is the protest part of peaceful protest. You know, genuine peaceful protest, nonviolent protest, has to be disruptive in order to work. So, you know, I get it that people who are made uncomfortable by by black NFL players saying we, we, we are concerned that unarmed black men are disproportionately murdered by police officers in the United States every year compared to unarmed white men. You know, when the, I get it that some white people are made uncomfortable by that, but that doesn't mean it's not true and real. And, and, and I, I predict, Damien, that you're going to find, if you look back five or ten years from now on this conversation you and I are having right now, that you're going to find that you are on the same side of history as those people who in the 1960s, or the 1950s, rather, excuse me, after Brown versus Board of Education, and right up to 1965 when, when Bobby Kennedy, or 64, when Kennedy started, or, yeah, no, it was 63, when Bobby Kennedy started using the, the, uh, the Commerce Clause to enforce, you know, uh, to, to break up segregation in the South, that those people were on the wrong side of history, too. They were saying, hey, you know, Woolworths has every right not to let black people sit at their counters in Georgia. They have every right to. That's what the state allows. It's not a violation of state law. And that was true at that time. And, and, and then, but it was a violation of federal law. And, and Bobby Kennedy came along and said, okay, you know, you are engaged in interstate commerce because you buy ketchup from Heinz in Pennsylvania and you serve it to people at your lunch counters. And it's right sitting there on the lunch counters. And so, therefore, we can send in the federal marshals. 
And a lot of people were very outraged by that, a lot of racists. But a lot of conservatives were saying, you know, yeah, this is the right thing. And ultimately, it proved to be the right thing. Damien, I predict that you know, you're going to find yourself in that position. Thanks for the call. Obi in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Hey, Obi, what's on your mind? Obi in La Crosse. Obi, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hi, Tom. Um, a lot of people criticized Nancy Pelosi when she said that impeachment is not on the table. What she did not say is that it's still in the kitchen. We've got to let Mueller and his crew do their work, and when they come out of the kitchen, then we'll take a look and see what they come out with before we decide whether to put it on the table or not. Yeah, very well said. The other, the other thing is that it's probably not going to happen during this Congress anyway. It's, and it, the, the more important thing is that we take the Congress back, both sides of Congress if we can, right. not to bring about impeachment, but once we take over the Congress, then it's a moot point practically, because then he's just an impotent lame duck from then on. Yeah, very, very well said. Abby, I agree with every point you made. Thank you. Debbie in Buffalo. Hey, Debbie, last minute of the hour. What's up? Last minute of the show, actually. Debbie? Okay, let's try Richard in Naples, Florida. Richard, you're on the air. Oh, hey. I have a limited amount of time, but I'm just having so much fun listening to you, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. I, I, you know, the Constitution uh, provides for uh, the pr process of uh, impeachment, and it provides quite clearly that it is not a uh, judicial process. It's a political process. And by gosh, uh, we have it in our Constitution uh, available to us to simply uh, ask for a do-over. Uh, you know, we don't know uh, whether we did the right thing as American people when we elected Trump, so we want another shot at it. Uh, well, I'm not even sure we elected Trump, Richard. Again? I'm not even sure we elected Trump. I think that people, uh, people rigging elections in Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania elected Trump. You know, throwing hundreds of thousands of people well, off the voting rolls, uh, putting, putting voting machines in black neighborhoods in Detroit that don't, don't record votes for president. I mean, I think this election was stolen. Richard, thank you for the call. And, and therefore, Trump is a completely illegitimate president. And, and frankly, I would love to see Robert Mueller looking into that. But, you know, there doesn't seem to be a consensus around that. Anyhow, fascinating day. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It is an all-in. Get your hands dirty. Start participating. Get out there. Get active. Tag. You're it uh, kind of game or business or whatever it is. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.